Welcome to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about Lego investing, Lego reselling, entrepreneurship, and how people all around the world are using the thing that they love, Lego, to create an income and build a business. What is up, folks? Welcome back to another BrickBox Live. It is really good to be back. I do apologize for a little bit of a delay here with these live shows, but we're back now, and I have Dan here. I'm super excited about this one. This is Adirondack Brick Dan. Uh, who has experience with Lego investing and Lego reselling in various different forms. So I'm really excited. We're going to go into a lot of different kind of different types of business models and different ways that people can get involved with selling Lego. Uh, maybe Dan will talk a little bit about just Lego in general as well, because I know we're both fans of it. So yeah. uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this for a while since we started chatting. So I love it. Thanks for being here, man. It's good to have you. So just to kick off, do you want to give a quick like overview of, you know, who you are and what you what you do a little bit, just so kind of pe people kind of get a um, get to know you just a little bit here at the top? Yeah, of course. Um, I'll try and keep it. Um, I'll keep it quick. But my Lego journey, I loved Lego as a kid. But I as everybody else, I had those dark periods. And it kind of took till I was an adult. Um, being totally honest, dealing with some anxiety, and I started building sets myself, just something to have my hands at the end of the night. That got me back into Lego. I have three kids now, so that really dove us back in. And uh, I'm a teacher, and I need a, a part-time job or uh, something on the side to be able to financially support. And uh, just through some, some luck, um, it started on eBay, went to BrickLink, and then followed Bricks Bucks Live and a lot of the other things through that and got into more investing and now I'm down the rabbit hole. So did, so did you grow up with Lego? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it was a lot of, I had a big tub and it was just building with the big tub, not many sets. Um, and that tub actually is the same tub that's in my third grade class today that I teach. So it's kind of cool. Oh, wow. I have a similar thing. I have two tubs of Lego in my hometown over in Ireland that I'm just waiting to crack open someday. I haven't opened it in years, and I'm just really waiting for that day when that day comes. So you're you're a teacher, and you've like you've obviously got, you know, you, I, I imagine your time is absolutely packed. I definitely want to jump into some, uh, you know, some time saving tips or time time management tips because it sounds like you must be a man of of. Uh, of you know a lot of different things kind of pulling you from a lot of different directions so how many years have you kind of been looking at lego as a business or kind of um you know seeing it as more than just a hobby starting this year it's going on my third year i started about about halfway through the year so about two and a half years ago that i've been looking right. at as a financial business yeah and what was your first encounter with like kind of you know figuring out oh wow like this thing it's bigger than what I thought it was. Um, it was some sets that I had bought um, when I first started building again. Um, I wanted to sell them to buy sets to build with my kids. And so I went straight to eBay to see what their value is, was shocked to see some of their values after even just a short period of five years. And then uh, started with the eBay was my first experience selling mainly whole sets. I'd buy a lot of... Uh, use sets that were missing parts and i try mm -hmm. and find the parts and then sell it complete and that's what led me to bricklink first as right. a customer yeah so you just kind of did that search on ebay like hit some sold yeah. listings and kind of were just i had a very similar introduction to this 
the you know the world of Lego investing where you know one day I'm like looking for, to buy some stuff and I search you know a couple times on eBay and then I just kept searching I'm like what is what am I seeing right now like how are these values so inflated you know over the course of just a couple of years so it sounds like it was similar for you like a kind oh, of a yeah. penny drop like wow this is this is kind of crazy oh yeah absolutely and I I was totally when I started and then even especially when I had my BrickLink store, I was always embarrassed to tell people like, oh, I stopped working my part time job. And they're like, oh, how are you making money? And I was like, well, I sell stuff, sell Lego <laughs> and uh, totally over that now. But it was it was kind of an odd thing when I started. Yeah, I mean, like people who run e-commerce businesses in general and like resellers, they have this like a lot. A lot of people that I talk to and not just with Lego, but with with other items as well. It's like so many questions people question what you do oh are you still doing the lego yeah. thing are you still like you know like as if kind of looking down on it a little bit but it's something that we we get used to over time right it's hard to understand it unless you're involved yeah sure. uh, did you start selling any other items at the start or was it just like straight into lego oh i i started with everything i started with um so a long, long couple lives ago, I was a pastor. So my library, my books, I had so many books. It started with getting, going through some books that I, I had. Um, and then I tried like retail arbitrage and mm -hmm. I was focused on eBay because that's what I knew. And so it's not as great there, um, but I did a little bit of it. And I've done um, the garage sale thing. We have a very short window up here for garage sales. Um, and I've done all those things. And the one consistent thing that always made a profit was Lego. So over the course of time, just looking at where I'm putting my time, I just kept shifting it to Lego because that's where the, the return was. The other stuff mm -hmm. took the time, but didn't have quite the return that Lego did. So, What do you think it is about Lego that just makes it so consistent for you know building a reselling business? the love of Lego as a toy. It's something we all played with as kids or the majority of us, yeah. whether we were big into it or not. So we can turn around and play with it with our kids. And it's a toy that as adults, we're not afraid to just get and build with our kids. Um, it's not, it's easy. It's just an e easy entry to play with our kids. Um, show them what we like. We can, our fandom can come out when we like Star Wars or Minecraft or, um, Harry Potter and seeing those themes. Um, and it's the same exact toy that we had when we were kids. And that's the resale value. I can sell a brick that I had as a kid today and it's worth more now because it's rarer, but essentially it's the same brick that I had as a kid that I'm selling today. And I think that's why it's made its mark as a retail or just reselling and yeah. investing. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's so much that they're doing like the Lego group are doing that is, is just really impresses me over other toy brands or other, you know, yeah. other brands in general that we could resell. Um, you know, for example, the, all those license deals, right? Like they, they, they got to have more license deals than any other toy manufacturer out there. It's really insane. Especially if you think about a, a, you know, different themes like speed champions that has multiple license deals. We have Aston Martin coming now, like in speed yeah, champions. That's true. It's, you know, it's it's really impressive the partnerships that they must be able to build um, with so many different companies. And then, you know, all of the collectability that they drive and people getting excited yep. about the new Star Wars helmets because we collected the old Star Wars helmets. And it's just it's so fascinating to watch the 
the um, economics of Lego, really. And I agree with you. I think it's because I was interested in Lego from a young age. It just makes it so much more fun to research it for me. Yeah. You know, like I could spend hours researching Lego, watching what's coming up or watching what's retiring. And I don't think I could do that same, you know, amount of time researching, you know, sneakers or shoes uh, to sell on online because it just doesn't interest me the same way. I think it's just Lego's fascinating. That's And that's the number one tip that I give to people that I know or friends that are wanting to start their own business is you have to pick something that you're passionate about. Um, you don't have to be passionate about every aspect, but you have to find a passion within that or else it's going to be a job. For me, there are days where I literally put my entire waking hours into my job, but it's enjoyable. So I can just do it repeatedly and I'm having fun with it. I have days yeah. where I'm sorting for 12 hours a day, but I have my nine-year-old daughter sorting with me on one side. I'm building on the other side every few minutes with my youngest daughter. And it's just, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to jump into a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, taking this back to the beginning as well, again, um, so you started kind of researching stuff on eBay. And then yeah. what was it like for you when you first started kind of pulling the trigger on a couple of sets for resale? Was that a scary experience for you? Because Lego is an expensive thing to buy, right? So if you're brand new into it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dive into the deep end for some people if it's your first venture into reselling. Yeah. So what was that was kind of start like for you? It was, it was scary. Um, and to be honest, I started buying my first sets with the intention of reselling them probably seven years ago. And I never sold my first one until I came back into it three years ago. It was the intention of, I'm going to find the rest of the set to build it, to sell it complete. And I just never got around to it because of the daunting of having to spend the money and the bigger sets. Um, and then when I got back into it, I was like, okay, I just need to, to sell it because I needed to for the profit. So that motivation is what got me over the hump, but it was, it was daunting. And I started out small. Um, I started out when I had my, actually probably when I had about three jobs going um, so that I didn't have to rely on it. And I think that that's the only way I'm standing here or sitting here talking to you today is that when I started, I wasn't financially dependent upon and to this day i'm still not financially dependent on solely this business yeah and it's an important point you know and i do get you know i get asked a handful of times about like when you know is it something that i can take full-time you know can i be full-time with selling lego and my answer is always yes there are some business models in the world of lego that you could be full-time lego investing not as much unless you've got a lot of capital uh you know, BrickLink, if you put in a ton of work and, you know, and, and, you know, are willing to do the hours while still keeping your job. But I think that most important part is uh, that you, you know, you need to be able to reinvest the profits in order to grow, right? Or at least a portion of the profits, you know, and figure out what are my, what are my expenses of my business? You know, the, the supply, the shipping supplies, the rent for your storage or whatever the expenses are, and then go above that. And what's like an additional margin, that I want to be able to reinvest into like out of my, my profits that I want to reinvest just to grow. Right. Because That's if you're huge. just paying your expenses, you can't grow and then it's never going to become what you envision for it. So you need to be able to, to re to invest more than what your expenses are. And if you need to live on the money, you're starting off on the wrong foot. Yeah. And there's so many ways to do that, but it's important to develop whatever works for you, whether it's a percentage of my sales go back into the business, 
Um, ideally, if it can be 100% at the start, but if not, like set that margin, 75% goes back to pay for new merchandise back into the business. Um, for me, there was a period of time where everything I sold on eBay, which when it came to Lego was mainly minifigures, that would be go to my pocket to help pay some bills as I got going. And then BrickLink was all reinvested. Um, and it just whatever works for your business, as long as you're you're tracking, you just got to be smart. If you don't reinvest in something, it's not going to grow. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so when you first started off, you were like you mentioned, you were looking to sell your your you know your own sets and looking at used sets particularly. Were you did you start thinking about investing in new sets at that time, or was it predominantly used stuff? Um, predominantly used, and it wasn't until um, and I know you've interacted with this guy, but Pops Block Shop, Derek over there, yeah, um, seeing his channel and actually seeing Brick Arena. Um, that right. was another one and seeing them part out new sets. Um, and after being buying the used sets and just, I didn't know what bricks sold. I didn't even know what color sold originally. So when I got the used sets, honestly, I lost more money than I gained at the start. And right. it wasn't until I got to the new sets and developed the system, which pretty much was just copying the guys that I saw on YouTube. Um, even way back to clutch and just watching those guys copying their system and making it my own. Um, so it was the new sets as parts and minifigures. I, it took me probably till the last, I'd say eight months before I was looking at new sets as investments as sealed. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you started off looking at sets on eBay and then you quicker pivoted into, you know, parts on Bricklink. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And so, okay. So that, that move into BrickLink then, what was that experience like for you? How, how much work, I guess, did you have to put into it in the beginning to start to see uh, some traction? I know that that is, you know, a, it's a something that takes time to really get the kind of snowball rolling. Uh, I was spoiled. Um, I came in like um, shortly before the pandemic hit and BrickLink hit their kind of boom with that. So I came in and I, worked out some kinks for about half a year before the pandemic hit um, and had some sales here and there, um, messed around with prices. I tried that thing where, okay, BrickLink's based heavily off of the six months sales average. So I drop it like a 30, 40% sale and then realize, okay, that didn't, that didn't work. I got too many orders in one day, made no money off of it, made the mistakes, learned, um, and then once I figured it out, it kind of timed well with the pandemic, um, had the inventory going, um, and it, it was pretty, pretty fluid and it gave me good feedback. Cause I got those initial one or two sales a week, which to me was great. Um, but having those one or two sales a week allowed me to buy new sets and the daunting of investing in a new sealed set, the price was so high this allowed me to have a lower entry level and to be able to kind of in, still invest in the parts the pieces learn what sold learn what was popular everything mm -hmm. many figures to colors to part type and then on and a new set e-commerce in general right like yeah. you know what it's like to serve customers online what it's like to build an online business make money you know Oh, th through the tube, the tubes of the internet, right? and, yeah, and taxes, and you know, yeah, order fulfillment, and storage systems, and everything that goes into this crazy world, right? Yep. 
Yeah. How was the like the for your initial kind of storage system? Did you kind of have like a a good understanding of what you wanted to go or like go with from the very start, or oh, is that absolutely. something that you revised and re- changed and spent a ton of time on uh, redrawing? Uh, I had no clue at first. My fiance, my fiance who helps me here at the shop, um, and a couple of the other contractors that I have come in and either if they pick orders, they hate it. When we get an order that has parts from one of the first sets that I parted out, because my philosophy at the start was it was going to be a small hobby. I took all of my white bricks, I put them in bags, and I put them in one big, um, like, Sterilite drawer, like one of the big ones. So Mm -hmm. when I get an order, I have to pick through the colored bin. And it worked for when I only had, like, one or two orders a week. So I was like, all right. And I added some more. And then quickly down the road and I'm still paying the price for that. But um, it's developed over time. It started out with that. And then I watched a lot of Brick Arena, Pops Block Shop, everybody else. And they had the Acro Mills. Um, yeah. I got a few of those. I dove into that. I experimented with putting multiple lots in a drawer. Um, and that worked out at the first beginning. But then mm-hmm. as it went on, having mixed lots in a drawer made it really tough. Um, and I actually have kind of graduated to a system that nobody else I've seen use. I use uh, like plastic tackle boxes for the majority of my parts. Um, just with the little cups they have, they have about 24 cups to a tackle box. Mm-hmm. They sit flat. I number them and um, they just fit that perfect amount for the amount of lots or amount of pieces that are in one lot for me at the current time. Um I've used these red and black. Oh, um, oh, I'm going to feel bad. I'll remember his name and his store later on. But um, I saw somebody else that uses the red and black toolboxes from Walmart. And they store their pieces in that. So I use those to store my bigger pieces. Mm-hmm. And then um, these aren't, this isn't my brick link here. But I moved on to using some of these drawers. Um and I have some of the food trays that I also learned from another BrickLink seller um, just to divide up the lots. So my plates, my more common pieces, I've moved into those. My modified bricks, just the wide variety go in my tackle boxes. The big pieces go into those toolboxes. And three years later, now I have a system that works for me, works for input for my store, and I'm still changing it. Um, yeah. Like looking at now I want to have all my plates. That's my newest. I want to have all my plates together. So I just, I can go to the drawer and get all the two by eight plates that I need from that one drawer and kind of move on that way. I don't think I'll ever perfect it. I'll always be changing it, but it's, you got to be open to it. But Mm -hmm. the one thing looking back that I would say to anybody listening or thinking about doing BrickLink is definitely start with the end in mind more so than I did. I did not start with the, the end in mind for sure. Yeah, like because I, you know, I was kind of joking a little bit about like have you had to redraw things and you know, but like yeah. that is, it's it's very common. Um, you know, when you're building any storage system, it's not only BrickLink, but it's the same in you know, yeah. with le- sealed set Lego investing. And I started out with shelves, and I've moved to almost a fully tote bin system. And in the future, I'll probably move again to something else. Um, you know, like there's always with any story system, it's always going to be a process that you go through when you're or inventory system, I should say, um, you know, in the book with, with our uh, used book 
business yeah. um, different types of tickets that we print out so we can quickly pick orders and all sorts of different things but with um with bricklink like when you're redrawing it all like when you, you i want to re revisit the way i'm storing all of these parts the amount of work involved is pretty substantial you know oh yeah so, i couldn't so, be, even at the the scale i do it a very small scale compared to others and i still need help um probably more because of all the other activities i have going on and i like having people around me but uh definitely couldn't do it on my own and to be honest all those mistakes were worth it because at the time i wouldn't be where i'm at now if i didn't have that system that allowed me to put pieces into my store as quick as i did it may have taken me longer to pick orders but i got the pieces in which got me the orders in the first place so right. what today looks as something like oh that's a mistake i got to fix it honestly i wouldn't be here without having the benefits of that too yeah yeah so as long as you can gain some efficiency someplace in your business right and you can re yeah. you can revisit and revamp other things and you know you mentioned some youtubers out there that you know do brick link and are very yeah. transparent about their business i i gotta say you know like if anyone here is like who's watching is considering getting into Bricklink, or you know if you're already a Bricklink seller and you know you want to learn new, some new methods and if you're not watching youtube for it um you're missing one of the greatest opportunities right because you go back like 20 years right just 20 just yeah. well even 10 years you know entrepreneurs people starting businesses did not have the visibility that we now have into how right. people run their businesses right and some of the the bricklink guys are so transparent and they show everything about how they do this they stuff. show their financials every month like right. they yeah. legit show you their sales and their lots and everything and and i i think it carries over to like all entrepreneurs now are being more open but mm. not just BrickLink. I'd say more so the Lego industry than anything, because when I've now I've dove into researching new sets and value, um, I'll be honest, I started following BrickBucks mainly to see how it would help my BrickLink business to look at what oh, sets wow. were investable. Um, and OK, well, if the sets are investable for new sealed, then they're going to grow those parts, those specific parts that are only in that set or the minifigures are going to grow in value, too. And then yeah. mm -hmm. quickly through your community, you guys helped me get ungated. Um, they were open about what sets they're looking at, um, what sets are good investments. And I mean, that's direct competition, but realizing sharing this, this information helps everybody. It doesn't really hurt you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You may have a competitor, but it doesn't mean when they succeed, you fail. Everybody can succeed. Agreed. Yeah, it's an amazing community. And it is like, a, it's just full of, you know, people who are out there willing to help others. And it is a benefit that we did not have, you know, years ago. And if you're trying to start a business, you know, before the internet, uh, you're on your own, you're going to a library trying to read books about how to do things. And um, so take advantage of this stuff for sure. And I think so the food tray idea, I think, was that just a brick in the bucket that you got that from? No, I saw I them doing that. I thought it was genius. It's who they got. Um, it was Dave, and I believe he I believe his store is BB and B. I know there's yeah, BB yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I know he, Dave. Uh, he, he was on our show too. He does his balloon. Yeah. 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 He's also a balloon artist, but he got into Bricklink and he's the one that really kind of showed showed uh that method for storage. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, that's that's awesome. So, um, 
so you're selling you know you had started your your brickling store and what was it what was your uh your space like you know in the beginning when you first started out did you have kind of a room in your house that you were able to dedicate to it i presume this was before you went out and rented anything um how did that kind of start off yeah it started off with a um actually started off with a desk and a shelf um and it quickly escalated to a room in the house um one wall where i put the acromills up on the wall um and actually because it was in the house i didn't even nail them to the wall i just put a table and stacked them on the table Mm -hmm. um a small little closet um i'm i'm talking i had maybe like five six acromill type drawers at the time yeah and then that's when it really kicked up um and my fiance is amazing because it graduated to the entire we have a hallway that comes into our house with a walk-in closet and that walk-in closet became my bricklink store and my desk was in our hallway um and it was that's kind of when i hit that it was outgrowing the house and i had to to look for something else right mm-hmm. yeah and so what was that transition then what did like where how did you start off you rented a space um is it the same space that you turned into your brick and mortar and we're going to touch on your brick and mortar soon i've got tons of questions about that oh, that's all right um but how did that first kind of transpire with uh with renting your first space yeah so it actually i was coming into looking for a physical space maybe two years down the road i didn't have the the thoughts that okay i'm gonna i'm gonna have one soon I was like, I'm going to deal with my house. I have a garage at my house that I could um, maybe renovate and be able to use as the BrickLink store. Um, But knowing that I wanted to expand past that, I came out and looked at real estate. Finally, I've been putting it off, putting off the call to the real estate agent. Um, And I think just because of the the times that we're under, um, residential real estate is through the roof, but commercial is at a low, especially in my my small town or communities kind of like mine. Um, I ran into a space that was vacant for about two years before I got into it and got prices looking towards the future. And on my way home, I have about a 15 minute ride home. I got a call and they drastically reduced the the price of the lease by 25%. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing it. It's not a great salesperson, is it? On your way home. (laughs) Yeah, on my way home, they called me back right away and said, hey, this building will do it if you jump into it for this price. Um, And so my physical space for my BrickLink store um, came at the same time, actually, as the retail space, which what we'll get into. And the only way I could get the physical space with other things in mind, like the retail brick and mortar side, was having the BrickLink to fund it okay yeah okay yeah so is it a case where the BrickLink is like an upstairs section or how is that laid out that's how it started um it started as an upstairs section it's a small little space with um sectioned off into three sections the the loft is what we call it has the BrickLink store or had the BrickLink store um then there's a retail space and then my build room um workshop room which is what i'm in now so Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you first went to look at it, were you planning a retail store? Were you thinking, I want to do a brick and mortar store dedicated to Lego? Or were you thinking, I need to get some work for my, my BrickLink store? What was the strategy at that point? Um, it was 
a little bit of both. It was, I was, the main priority was looking for a space for my BrickLink store. Um, the second priority was I'm a teacher. I love working with kids. So more than the retail space, it was a workshop to be able to come and do classes with kids, um, building competitions, just to kind of ignite that passion um, and have a chance to work with kids. So I was looking at a space that had that potential and had space for my um, BrickLink. And then um, in looking at the business model, the retail side made sense because it allowed me to fill some gaps, things that wouldn't sell on BrickLink, that wouldn't sell on Amazon as quickly, that wouldn't sell on eBay, would sell great in a physical retail location with kids and families coming in regularly. And so it allowed some of that waste or long-term investment to turn into a short-term investment. Um, so the three work together. I don't think without the BrickLink store, the retail store, and then my workshop build room side of it, I don't think if I had one of those missing that it'd be possible at this point for me. Mm. So they, yeah. it all wow. works together. That's really interesting that you had this vision for the workshop side, you know, so early on, right? Because yeah. I, like, I would think that that's kind of almost like an upsell that you would have on top of the retail store, but it sounds like you had it the other way around in your mind. Like you yeah. passionate about the idea of doing workshops and build shops and, you know, oh, well, I, I guess I may as well sell some, some sets as well at the same time. Was that kind of the way you were thinking about it? It was. And here's the reason why, because Lego investment is a long-term approach to some extent. You're, it takes time to sell. So what I was looking at the workshop side, it's something that I'm good at. I do already in my classroom with my kids. Um, I enjoy. And the only cost it has to me is the space. But if that's being covered by BrickLink, it doesn't matter. Um, so the only cost is my time. So for my time investment, I'm getting profit. And that profit can go right into the Lego investment, the new sets, the retail side. Um, and it can kind of fund that. So mm -hmm. I looked at it that way. And that's why I looked more towards the workshop. Um, it's like a membership build room where you can come buy the membership or pay by the hour to just build with all of our, our bricks um, that we have here for people to build with. Um, mm -hmm. That funds the more, the true money maker, kind of investable money type of thing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was just about to ask this, but I saw it pop up in the comments. Um, Greg asked, how long has the store been open? So when did you first start with the retail store? The retail side only since November, just well, since okay. November. So the holiday season, that was the other reason they called me back with that 25% lower lease. And I was like, all right, here it is the start of November, end of October. Let's get some holiday sales. <laughs> Wow. That's a busy time to be starting, you know, it that is. sort of thing. And we, in, I'm from Saranac Lake. And one of our big tourist things that we have is we have a winter carnival with an ice palace parade and everything. That's actually this week now. So it was the holiday season. And then we have a lot of people coming to our town now for this month of February. So it was like, well, if I started at any time, now's the time to do it. And then Actually, one additional thing that kind of just threw itself out there is perfect timing. Um, you mentioned I'm a part-time teacher. I'm a part-time teacher this year because I have a I have a new son and I'm I have paternity leave. 
So the way my school worked it out was I teach three days a week and have a co-teacher that teaches with me the other two days. Um, so for this school year, I have that luxury. So it was that perfect opportunity. I have more time. Um, I can get those boosts to sales from the holiday season to fund it because financially I probably wouldn't have had the money to, to fund the startup other than having those initial sales. Um, and just the, the real estate market for commercial use being low and down at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Understanding the kind of, you know, the macro like economics of what's going on right now and, and yep. using that, to, you know, in your business. Um, so paternity, so congrats firstly on, on the birth Thank of your you. third, third child. Was yep. it? Yeah. Wow. So a father of three on top of everything else that you have going on here, it's pretty impressive stuff. Sponsored um, by, um, we'll, we'll leave that out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, all right, so you so you opened the, the brick and mortar store, yeah. and how did you first think about your inventory for for the store? Is it predominantly new sets, or are you doing new sets as well? Um, so my full goal was I started with new sets because that's what people are used to in a retail space, mm -hmm. um, and I knew if I didn't have the new sets, and someone walked in, when they walk in to buy Lego, they usually walk in to buy new sets. So I knew if I was missing those, I would lose return customers. So I, I focused all of my finances on the new sets for the inventory. Um, then, and since then, what I've done is when I sell those new sets, I divide the reinvestment to new sets and then use sets as well. So my store has kind of started to grow um, to be able to have more use sets. Profit-wise, I make more on the use sets um, minifigures was another big draw because I have a lot of kids in the community that come in and I was looking for a, a low price point for parents to be willing to purchase stuff for kids. Lego is such a high price point. They come in asking for the $70 set. Not every family is going to buy that. So they at least have those small price points of minifigures. Um, I have a build, uh, those Lego dot bracelets. They have a, a Lego dot, um, bin where they can build a bracelet, oh, um, build great. a mint build a minifigure, um, all things that are cheap for me to get started, but the kids love it. It's an experience-based thing. Um, and uh, having the retail space, I also get more deals. I have a lot of people coming in to trade Lego, so I get used Lego in just in bulk. And then I also get um, more like used sets in, like the 2006 UCS set over here. Wow. Um, and I can get them in at a better deal to be able to turn around and, and flip them. Um, and honestly, I, I love doing that because when I give out the credit for the sets, most of the time people will opt for store credit and they'll turn around and spend it in the shop again. So it just feeds itself. Amazing. It's a win-win. You know, yeah. you're, you're making great sourcing at the same time as making more sales. And I got to say say too right. i gotta add to it and even some of the contractors that i have that come in to help me sort lego or or um um pick orders they'll turn around and spend their money in the shop too so it's it even is like oh i can afford to to kind of pay them more knowing that they're fans and they're going to be reinvesting in the shop too so it, it works mm -hmm. it's a fun hobby and it's a good sign right like if people yeah. who are coming in there are working like are working with you they're you know willing to turn around and spend in your store obviously they're 
they're liking your price points. They're liking your inventory. Yeah. They're liking the experience. And that's obviously a good, you know, a vote of confidence. I love that idea of the, um, of the dots bracelets. That's fantastic. Cause when you were talking about the minifigures, I was kind of envisioning like, a you're, you know, when you're going to the checkout in a Walmart, um, you know, like they're always going to try and upsell you on the way to the checkout, right? Every, yeah. every little, every cart that you're taking up there is probably not going to be the last thing you're going to buy. You're, you know, you'll yeah. see something in a magazine or a drink, uh, oh, I didn't realize I was thirsty until I saw the fridge next to the, the checkout. Uh, you know, what is our equivalent of that in the world of Lego, right? It's minifigs, you know, yep. it, like it's it's the ultimate thing to put next to the checkout counter um, to go along with your order. And if you're buying, you know, a set that has certain minifigs in it, like, you know, ATST with Cara Dune and Mandalorian, do you also have a Boba Fett in stock that I can buy? Like, you know, it's it's just you can buy add-ons to the set that yep. you're buying right there at the counter. So it's, it's great. And like, yeah, like I think it's, it makes total sense. Um, well, and that, that is the model too, because even um, those little add-ons, it doesn't just stop at the minifigures. One of the things we do is we bag up like $2 lots of parts, parts that maybe sit on BrickLink cause they're not common parts, but stuff that's flashy to the eye, Spider-Man webs, um, some gold railings, um, hearts, just things that people will see in the store and like, oh, I can build something with that. And they go and do it. So it moves the inventory that's slower and speeds up the process. And I think that's, you'll notice the theme talking to me about how to build the business as quick as I have. It's all about the quick turnarounds and being able to, to speed through that inventory. And just those little things like that really help, help mm -hmm. that aspect of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when someone comes in to, tr to do a trade in, um, you know, they bring you a set and it's used. Um, do you have it? Do you have to have a process in place to build that set to see if it's complete or how do you kind of think about that? Or do you just try to avoid the work and just list them as incomplete right off, right off the top? It depends. Um, it's, it's a case by case basis. If like, the UCS set back here, I absolutely take that apart and inventory every piece just because the price of incomplete versus complete varies so much. Um, I get Minecraft sets in, like the $20, $30 Minecraft sets. Those I just turn around and um, either build so that they're displayed so people can see what parts are there. And I make sure that they're st structurally there um, and then sell those just right on the floor. Um, or if they're already broken down, sometimes I'll do a quick inventory and throw them in a bag with the instructions to sell. Um, I get, sometimes I get the bulk buybacks where I'll buy bulk with complete sets mixed in. Um, and I have a, someone that started as a customer that's ordering a lot and he was looking for ways to kind of cut down his personal costs. So he goes through, he's extremely knowledgeable about the old, um, 2000 city sets, um, a lot of the Star Wars from that early 99 through 2000s era. Um, so he goes through those sets and he can pick out, I mean, he has a, he'll go through a bucket like this big and within five minutes, he'll have me three pieces to the Millennium Falcon and, uh, old, um, Pirates of the Caribbean ship haul. And he'll just go through and have all those. So it's just, because I built that community as early as I have, he just, you find people that know what they're talking about and they can come and help. So it depends on the value of the set for sure, but sometimes it's worth it. And I've been proven wrong before I've told 
that individual, um, I'll give them credit for it. And sometimes I'll be like, look, it's not going to be worth my time for you to, to put that much energy into building the set and the profit that I can sell it for. And he's proven me wrong where he'll find every single piece to a set and we'll put it on my shelf. And my return is four times what I thought it would be. So that's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, it's great. And do you like have a decision to make, I guess, when you take in a set and you're like trying to decide, do I want to put it on the shelf here in the brick and mortar? Or do you also sell some stuff online, you know, in like stuff that you take in in the store, you just put it, send it out the back door instead of at the front door? Um, absolutely. That's a decision. And I'm still facing that today. Most of the time I put it back in my brick and mortar store. Um, but now I'm starting to get a lot more inventory than I can um, visualize that I can display in my store and that my store is going to sell through currently. So I am getting more on the website, my personal website, and then looking to eBay for some of the use sets or Bricklink. I have some on there or getting some on there. Um, those are the ones where I really, they're time consuming because I want to hundred percent make sure that all the parts are there so those are like the ucs set star wars ships those are the ones that i take the time to inventory and put on sale somewhere else as well but i admit yeah. so far i look for more of the quick flip even selling at a lower price just to get that cash flow going because my business may not the profit margin may not be high but if the cash flow is high there's a whole lot of tips and tricks that I can do to, to raise my profit, whether it's even just the, the cash back from the credit card that I'm using to just continually to pay it off every month. Then I'm saving the interest on the credit card by paying it off every month to being able to purchase more used lots. And then eventually in that 10th used lot, I pull out the Cloud City Boba Fett that's $1,500 and then that makes all the profit. So volume seems to be my biggest friend at the start. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And yeah. it's got to be hard to like, you know, if obviously a brick and mortar store is limited by the foot traffic that can possibly yeah. come in the door. Right. And in any town, even if you're in New York city, that is not infinite. Right. It's there's a certain amount of people that will ever walk through those doors. And when you have something sitting on the shelf, it's got to be kind of tempting to just go for the, you know, like the eBay route where you know you could sell that UCS set from 2006 and you could sell it tomorrow if you list it right now. Um, you know, why wait kind of thing? So it's got to be a like a, a toss-up um, because obviously, like, well, this is my assumption, but I guess a question to you would be like, do you put any weight on um, like how impressive it might look for your store if you have some of those old style sets and kind of real collectible sets? If you, instead of, uh, you know, selling a set that you know you could sell right now on eBay, you want to keep it on your shelf because it really adds a lot of kind of wow factor for your for your customers. Is that a thought for you at all? Oh, it is. And it's it's one of those things that early on, um, I haven't done much advertising outside of my local town. So I would say the true diehard Lego fans in my community have been through and they they come in regularly enough to see the inventory, even if it's not my store for long. So I always display it, um, even if it's only for a week. Um, and it kind of generates that. But I keep in mind my profits. 
And if I don't have the doors open because I can't pay the bills, then it doesn't do me a lot of good to have the stuff on the shelf. So I prioritize that as hard as it may be as a collector and a lover of Lego myself. Um, but with the hope in mind and the confidence knowing that, okay, now I can start to have some sets that sit around longer, that add to the decor, that add to the maybe the reach of my store. People will come from farther away or come more regularly to see what the new sets are. Um, and that's definitely something now that we have the financial base, I can move forward to start getting more of the more of the advertisement route and and looking to kind of draw people in. And and with that, actually, one of the things that we've recently talked about here and that we've started is I have and I don't want to kind of blow this too quickly as we're talking, but I've now got a second space, commercial space in this same building and it has windows and that new space is now my bricklink store and a few other things that i have over there going on um but it's where we process used lego and i have window space that currently i keep the blinds closed because we don't have anything over there now what we're doing is we're pulling these used sets out of these bulk buys that we have we're putting them in the window as we find the pieces and so people can walk by on main street here and they can see the set as we first get it out and then next week, maybe we have it built twice as much the third week, it's almost complete sitting there. And then the fourth week they see it in our retail shop. So just wow. a neat little way of, Hey, they're just going to be sitting in our room anyways. Let's, let's build kind of the Lego fandom and the curiosity and the passion to go along with it. So. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And like you mentioned that, you know, you like, the community helps out quite a lot. And, you know, as we know from even the online Lego community is, it's amazing. But how did you think about that when you were first opening up? Did you do anything to like let people know that this was coming or did you kind of know that once you open the doors, people st stumble in um, the, the Lego fandom would, would, would be enough to kind of bring you back repeat customers and get people in. Yep. Um, I didn't do a lot on for two main reasons. One um, in order to fund it, I had really focused a lot of my energy into my BrickLink store. So my sales for BrickLink during the months of November, December, and January were the highest they've ever been. So, and it was only me at that time with maybe a couple, a couple kids coming in to help out or a family member from time to time. Um, so a lot of my time was eaten up by that. So I, I didn't need a lot of traffic coming through my store. And then, with we kind of had a spike in in the sickness um and the pandemic in our area during that time as well um with the holidays and travel so it was one of those where maybe it benefited and felt made pe people feel more comfortable coming in to build because i have that spot of the store where they come in and spend time if there's not a constant flow of traffic so my decision was okay i'm going to open the doors People will start to find me. And then it also created free advertisement um, opportunities. I started with only Facebook and then the local paper um, reached out and did an article for me on the local paper. Um, being a teacher, a couple of the kids found out that I oh, had the wow. store opening. And so I teach at a private school. So the private school, a lot of the kids found out and told their parents they wanted to come see Mr. Drake. 
And then the public school I taught there before. And so a lot of the kids came in and wanted to see. And so in a small town, word of mouth spreads pretty quickly. So I knew I didn't have to advertise to reach my community. But now that it's been three months, I've kind of hit that that block where most of the people have come in and they'll still come in from time to time, but they're not going to be daily. So I need to kind of start reaching outside my own community to, to generate more of that foot traffic. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. now I'm at that point to start looking at that for sure. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And w- so one thing that I've been hearing from the way you're kind of describing that the way that the store is running is that you're uh, obviously Bricklink and um, your ability to sell things online is really supplementing everything. If you were to break down, you know, with rough percentages, how much of a percentage of the value of the retail store do you think comes from the the fact that you're sourcing inventory from there? And how much do you think comes from the sales, right? So like, are you, do you perceive the value of your store to be more because it's an avenue to sell or more because it's an avenue to buy from people and to source great inventory? 75% to source great inventory, 25% to sell. Wow. Um, I think it'll flip and I'm, I'm almost guaranteed would flip in the future. Um, yet again, I may be wrong because as I get more foot traffic in here um, and generate more sales, I'm also probably going to get more people bringing in the good buys or the trade-ins. So it may stay mm-hmm. that way, but right now it's definitely 75 and um, 75, 25 and one of the the greatest um, kind of victory stories of that is I have um, one kid that's in middle school, him and his friends, couple couple group of kids. They've come in and I've given them either money, cash, or trade-in value of up to two hundred and fifty dollars over the course of a month because of only minifigures that they bring in to trade in, and they're just bringing in minifigures. They've They've collected great Star Wars ones over the years. Um, just some some rare, rare particular ones that have wow. gotten them. So I'm teaching middle schoolers the opportunity to to invest and teaching them how their minifigures can be valuable. And they'll buy new sets and they'll trade me the one minifigure from that set that's worth money. And <sighs> they're able to get that set that otherwise their parents would have said, no, you can't buy that set. It's too expensive. They're like, but mom, but mom, no, I can go give Mr. Drake this one minifigure and it'll pay for half the set. And so they're already this is advanced. This is advanced strategies. I'm doing this. Right? I did this with the Hogwarts Castle. If you buy the four hundred dollar yeah. Hogwarts Castle, then you can sell those four minifigs yep. for around a hundred bucks. Your kids are are learning early. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It's funny. And then the kids at school here, like, well, how'd you get that new set? Well, I took the my minifigures and. I admit there we do a little bit of show and tell in my class, and there may have been a time where we're pulling out BrickLink prices in the middle of our show and tell. To, to had to catch myself on that one, but kids were like, "Oh, how valuable is this minifigure? This is a rare one, right? It only came in one set," and they have fun with it. And it, I love teaching kids the importance of entrepreneurship because I fell in love with it with lemonade stands, Kool Aid stands as kids, and and trading cards was my big baseball cards. And so having these kids be able to kind of learn that now is, is as much as important to me as the profit is. That's if I had to give up one, honestly, I'd probably lean more towards giving up the profit than the giving up investing in the, the kids. So. 
and you know those kids like they have an opportunity if they can figure out how to be smart and go source minifigs from facebook marketplace or from craigslist bring them into you like you know they could have a a little arbitrage thing going on and it's it's, and it benefits me too so it's it like it benefits Uh everybody and it's it just works out yeah yeah that's fantastic um, I, one thing I was wondering about when you were mentioning the, the marketing that you want to start doing to like appeal to people to travel further distances to come to your store and different things like that is like, and, and again, when we're talking about the breakdown between the importance of sort using the store as a sourcing mechanism and getting inventory or using it as sales. Um, you know, I think marketing, the fact that you buy sets could do you really, really good. Right. Because I, like, if you look at the way GameStop was so successful for so long, even when, you know, like it got very, very hard. I think their used game business was crucial for that because they were one of the few retailers that started pivoting and saying, okay, well now we're going to start, you know, we're going to start buying and selling used stuff. And the fact that they did that simplified it for everybody, right? Because nobody, well, most people don't want to learn how to sell on eBay or Bricklink or Amazon. They would love to go to a store with a trunk full of their old Lego and get cash, right? They would love that. Like a lot of people would love that. And that's why GameStop could offer credits for video games that were worth 30 bucks and they give you a credit of 10 and people were taking it. Like yeah. some of the credit that GameStop offers is, is borderline offensive. And yeah. people do it because it's easier than learning how to sell on eBay, right? For yeah. most people. So um, I'm not saying you should model yourself after GameStop, what they're used, but, but in, if p- more people understood uh, maybe the values that they could get. So, for example, if you had on your website like a price list for some yep. some of the minifigs or sets oh, or something yeah. like that, and people could look up or you know and check. Oh, well, I have these sets. Um, if I drive an hour to this store in upstate New York, you know, I'll get cash immediately, and I have a lot of them. Uh, it'll be worth it. I can walk. I can go home with a thousand dollars or whatever. Uh, that could bring people from further distances. So it's almost That's- like they will travel more to trade in than they would to buy Lego. That's, that's great. Just a and that's, random assumption. No, but that, that I think that would work. And it's it's safe advertisement because when you're advertising to sell something, it, it sometimes it can come off as abrasive. But when you're saying, hey, come to my store, I want to pay you to come to my store, it's it's just that that good uh good communication. They love it, they feel safe immediately, and then they're more trusting to buy from you, even. And transactions to this day are still based on trust. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And you see that more so than most people like myself included who are, our businesses are primarily online. Right. So you get to yeah. f- be face to face with your customers, which it's a whole different dynamic really. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to pull up a question from the chat. This is from exterminator. Um, good to see you here. Uh, so, Hey guys, what made you, um, what made you decide to open a brick and mortar store rather than stick to only online? I imagine running a, an actual store is a ton of work. So we haven't, we, we alluded to it, but we haven't really gone deep on how much work it actually is to run the retail store side of things. Um, and you know, what was that kind of decision like for you to move away from just selling online? Yeah. Um, I'll be totally honest. Profit wise, there is only one thing that may make it make sense. And if, this one piece wasn't a part of it, it would absolutely not make sense to have the retail side um, because it takes away from the BrickLink side or the eBay side or the Amazon side where you can just turn over sets, you're handling the fulfillment every day, um, you're 
I'm sometimes now I'm filling orders at 11 o'clock at night just because I spent the time in the retail side and I, I didn't have the time during the day to be able to go and do it. Um, sometimes when I'm working the retail side, I can be working the BrickLink side as well because I have it in the same facility, but not always. So for me, the main reason I did it was because of my passion. My passion is working with people. Um, and I knew that building relationships and doing the workshops that I have was fulfilling for me. It would motivate me to work harder on the, the sales side, the online side to make it financially work. Um, but the one thing that profit wise makes it work for me is the sourcing and turning over parts or sets that would not sell online. I have a row and I'm looking over at it now um, of about maybe 10 sets right now are not even sets. They're just 10 cars or trucks from Marvel, Star Wars, um, city sets that are sitting on my shelf that I sell for five to $10 that online, they would never sell. It would cost me more to ship than I'd get for it. But we call it our um, allowance shelf where kids come in and they can just, it may sit there for a month, but after a month, someone's going to come in and pay five bucks for a set that normally would just be, I just would give away or turn into parts. So having those sales that would not happen online because they're a lower price point, um, minifigures that don't sell on BrickLink, like the dollar minifigures in my shop, I can sell them for a dollar, two dollars, even three dollars because a kid comes in and they want a doctor minifigure. They don't care that it was in 50 different sets and whatever. They just see it's in front of them and they want it. So having those sales that I would not get online make it profitable. Um, otherwise, it would probably make more sense to just have a space for the BrickLink store and not have the retail side. Um, but I'm also finding out that it works if I take trade-ins. So I get a lot of good sourcing from the store. Um, and that'll lead to something that hopefully we'll have time to talk about later. But my BrickLink store, I went from mainly new parts so now, because of my sourcing, I'm shifting to a lot more used parts, and that'll impact my profits margins as well. So I hope mm -hmm. that kind of answers that question a little bit. Um, yeah, there's one kind of, I guess, uh, expansion that I want to make on it, which is yeah. like if you had to put in an hour, number of hours a day, if you added all of the tasks up to run the retail store, you know, is it? eight hours a day if like just, just specifically the tasks because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of waiting for customers to come in as well and there's hours where yeah. you could be pirating out a set you know and it's like because the business models kind of go hand in hand in that way so yeah. do you like how time consuming is running the store for you the fit the retail store not at all the only the only i would say it's about an hour a day that we're open um an hour of day of pricing figures out putting um the prices on the shelf making sure everything's facing looking good um making sure the floors are swept the bricks are clean um those type of items it only takes about an hour a day for that give it i have a very small retail space um that was key for me i went with a very small retail space to start both so the lower financial commitment but also the lower time commitment um the real time suck is the 
time I have to stand behind the register. On Saturdays, I have a class that I teach here at the store, um, one or two classes in the morning, and then it's my busiest time where I have people in most of the morning and afternoon. So I'm stuck in the retail shop and I can't ship out anything myself. I have to rely on somebody else to take something to the post office, to part out sets, to spend the Saturday. Um, that's on Saturday, I would say my retail sucks about seven hours out of my day from being in the store, interacting with customers. But again, that's an investment. Kids are coming back to my classes. Um, they're telling their friends. They're coming to build in our build room. They leave with some minifigures. Um, I'm developing the relationships. Parents find out, oh, why is that minifigure so expensive on the shelf? And I was like, well, it's rare. It only came in one set. And they're like, oh, I think I have that one at home. I'll give you 10 bucks for it. And I, they come back and they get it. And so it's an investment, but it's definitely that, that time suck. And it depends on the foot traffic, which is why I was slow to advertise. Because if I advertised heavily at first, it would have taken up all of my time. And I wouldn't have been able to devote the time to BrickLink. And I think everything would have fell apart. Yeah, that makes total sense. You're adjusting to the new world that you're in and, you know, yeah. and kind of ramping it up um, and, you know, being able to allocate the resources into the areas that make most sense. And over time, you'll probably figure out that, you know, one thing is a lot more um, worth your time than others in the store. And maybe you'll... That, that's, that's actually huge. And that's what you have to figure out for yourself. For me, I'm... I am not the hardest worker. <laughs> um, if I'm parting out a set, I get distracted easily. Um, I have a contractor that comes in and does some parting out or picking orders with me, and he's faster than me. My fiance who comes in, she's one of those that sits down and focuses, and she can work faster than me when after she's kind of learned the process. Me, I can sit down and work for about 20 minutes. Then I have to go do something else, and I come back. So, but I'm really good at managing people and encouraging them and supporting them. So being able to pop in from one side to the other is a strength of mine. Um, if you're the type of person that can sit down and do best by focusing on one task, maybe having all those things going isn't for you, but being able to surround myself with a better team is a strength of mine. So I'm actually less productive if I'm not doing that. So that's which is, I mean, which is great, right? Because that's that. Like, if you listen to any, you know, the big tech entrepreneurs or you know yeah. people who are who are like, you know, mega mega rich, um, how did you do it? Like, is a question they're always going to be asked, and I never hear them say um, that the team wasn't everything. Like, it's always about who you yeah. who you surround your with if you want to do these things. You want to be able to be pulled in so many different directions in a single day and run. Have multiple streams of income and run multiple different legs of your business you can't do it all yourself right so hiring people that are better and faster than you um it's it's crucial and i loved hearing you say that your fiance is kind of much more focused on the parting out and uh, like because i had the exact same experience yeah. um i parted out a couple of sets with my fiance um we don't run a brick link store but i kind of did it to, to learn about the yeah. process and different things and um yeah she figured out a process that was twice as fast. It was way faster than me. She was using like basically picking up parts with both hands at the same time and counting them like 
at the same like in twos. Okay, yeah. So she yeah, was like yeah. two, four, six, eight, and I yeah. was like doing, and I was doing one at a time and putting it into an, into my other hand, and I was blown away by that. She was like finished way before me. We were doing a little contest, um, but yeah, it's it's funny because that just took me back when you mentioned that. Yeah, um, and and I think yeah. this would translate to the the investing side, whether you're investing in new sets, you're investing in parts, pieces, minifigures, or even a different industry, just anything retail. Um, something that I've learned is I learned it from my religious background. They always would say you need a, you need a, um, a Barnabas and you need a Paul. Um, essentially you need someone that is training you that you're looking up to. You need somebody that you're working with and somebody that you're bringing along and training up. And so I try and do that in my business of having, okay, who am I looking up to? And a lot of that comes from either um, the groups, the Lego groups that I'm a part of, whether it's BrickBox, whether it's the YouTubers that I'm able to watch and see run their stores or their investing, um, the entrepreneurs that I, I listen to their podcasts. Um, those are the ones that I try and strive to be. I have people that I'm working side by side with um, maybe not locally, but the, the other people that are doing what I'm doing, the other store owners, things like that. And then I have people here, um, whether it's young kids or just adults that are wanting to start that I'm teaching the process and learning from them as I'm teaching them how to do it. Cause if I do this my whole life, I don't want to be picking orders when I'm 65 years old. I want to have someone else picking the order when I'm 65 and I'm getting to, to sit back and do something else. And something I enjoy. So replace the things that you're not good at and stick to the things that you are good at, but you still got to know everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's crucial. So like too many people, I think they think that like they need to double down on the things that they're not good at. So they'll get good at them. And yes. uh, that's, yeah. that takes time to like, that it. took me time to, to figure out that's not the way I should be running my business. Like I shouldn't be doubling down on the things that I'm not good at i should be doing the things that i am good at and in my business so my fiance as well yeah. because she's more analytical than me uh she's better at order fulfillment than i am i'm better at sourcing you know because uh, so when i say she's more analytical she's more she's more detail oriented right um but i i'm better with data so when i'm crunching numbers and yeah. looking at return on investments and you know the way sets of performance stuff like that it's very easy to me um but for her it's like if she's just you know knocking out orders all day that comes easy to her and so yep. you know things multiply for us when we started figuring that thing that, that out and you know doubling down on your strengths outsourcing your weaknesses and don't try to do it the opposite way around don't like oh my strength is a strength so i don't need to focus on it i'll just focus on my weaknesses because it's a weakness it's kind of counterintuitive in that way but it's important so am i what what am i hearing shane is it that that, that if a guy wants to uh start a lego investing or bricklink store they got to get down on one knee first and propose or <laughs> Pot uh, potential well i started it before i proposed but um, okay, i mean okay, it, yeah, it is sure. i i did i tried to get her on board very very early because it you know she's um she actually runs a lot of our e-commerce so it's it was a, a benefit where have you gone <laughs> okay, <laughs> is it engagement ring you're gonna show me <laughs> but uh okay so it's a headless porg but this is the first Lego set that I got her to buy um, when we first got together. And it sat in the box for about a year. But once I got the retail, she finally started putting it together. And once she started with Lego, now she's 
she's building a whole bunch of stuff, but she's got to finish the porg. But um, it is, it's, it's, you just get the people involved and you, you share each other's hobbies and interests and it may not be your favorite thing, but you, you do, you buy into it and it, sorry, we're turning into relationship advice too, but. But you know what? I, I actually wanted to come back to it and ask yeah. you about your fiance and about, because I, and I, I've asked this to a few of our guests in the past and I will continue to ask this question because um, it is, it continues to be one of the biggest concerns that I hear in the I Lego investing yes. world. Right. And I still, to this day, get questions about how do I get my fiance or my wife or my girlfriend or my partner on board with this crazy thing that I'm doing, right? I'm, I want to drop this much money into sealed Lego sets or, you know, stuff to part out or whatever it is. It is a crazy, crazy thing to someone who doesn't know about it, right? They're not kind of in tune with what can happen. Um, you know, some people struggle to even convince their spouse about regular investments in stocks, right? And how can yeah. I get them to think that Lego is a good idea? Um, so, like, it sounds like you've been quite fortunate, like yeah. I have in that space. And, like, did you ever have to do any convincing or, like, you know, was there any anything that you would say to someone who's struggling with that? Yeah. Um, I, I've heard you give great advice on this or your guests have given great advice as you ask this question. Um, having the analytics showing on paper is all great, but I think for me, it starts with one question and that's the one question you have to ask yourself is what are you supporting your partner, whether it's a spouse or a friend or, or par business partner, but if especially your spouse, what are you investing and supporting them in? So for me, I know there was a lot that I was supporting her in and because she felt that support. I think it made it easier for her to support me and trust me in whatever my, she didn't ask the questions about, she didn't want to see the books at first. Um, she just trusted me because she felt like, okay, I had her best interest and I supported her. She turned around to me. And so, especially us guys, we don't always come naturally at that. So maybe quickly first look to make sure you're supporting their hobbies, their interests. Um, and then maybe it'll come back to you. And I'll use a little kid analogy. When I wanted my sister to come play baseball with me outside or play with Lego, I first would go play Barbies with her. <laughs> I'll deny it. But wow. so it's like, it's literally that invest in your wife. Like if she wants to go to the art museum, go to the art museum and say, Hey, can we buy this Lego set on the way home? And you can find ways, but just if you support them, I think in the long run, they'll support you as long as you're open and honest about it. But it sounds very important. funny, but at the same time, you're tapping into like a real like psychological thing here. Like yeah. this is a sales technique that people use, which is yeah. the reason that people, when they're trying to sell door to door, like knocking on a door, they might like offer you like a flower before they try to sell you something. Yep. And it, it just psychologically gives you this reciprocation. You kind of want to give something back. And well, like, what we were talking it's... about, we want to offer like offering money for your used Lego, like bring it to us. Like we'll pay you for used Lego. Oh, by the way, while you're here, you want a new set. So mm -hmm. it's that it is, it's that same psychology. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. It'll forever be the, one of the biggest, hottest questions in this world. Right. When we're, you know, talking about Lego investing and I, I'll, I'll try to find an answer for everybody as much as I possibly can from talking to um, people who've been through it. Yeah. So I wanted to a good community, talk to others, throw it in chats, talk to everybody about it. Everyone will help you figure it out. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I want to touch back on the um, on the events, right? So you mentioned we talked a bit about your, you know, the buying and selling that happens in a retail store, but you also have these events that you're running, um, and that was a big strategy of yours when you first kicked off. It, so talk a little more about like what what are they? What do they look like? Is it yeah. once a week, or do you have different types of them? Are they competitions, or like what exactly do you do? Yes, <laughs> um, okay. all of the above. To all um, of them. Yeah, it's. It's like throwing a bunch of darts at a dartboard and seeing what sticks with some, it's not totally blind. Like I know what works and um, know what I want to do, but I don't want to narrow my focus. I want to keep it open because um, actually I'll, I'll kind of start with this. I have a build room with, if you watch like the show Lego masters, you see their big brick vault where they have all the bricks. I started that and I want to be able to have all the bricks sorted for people to come in and build with like every Lego piece they can imagine. I imagined I'd get more teens and young adults um, that were hobbyists that would come in and use that room. It's almost been exclusively kids. So I've had to pivot. I have, I, now I gear it more towards the kids. I'm a little less organized because the kids don't care. Um, and I've developed a playroom now where I have like Harry Potter castles, um, and the Mario sets as play sets that are out for them to play with while they're here. Um, and I never thought about that before, but I had young kids coming in, so it fit their need. I made that, that adjustment. Um, but the classes based off the same thing, I don't want to close the door. If I have adults coming in for classes, teens coming in for classes, I just kind of want to see what works. Um, my number one class is what I call my future engineering class. And it's what I've done for years in my own classroom as a teacher. It works on um, communication and task oriented problem solving. The first day I threw the kids, I said, the mayor of our small town, we have a lot of cool things in our town, but he wants the biggest skyscraper in, in the town, in the world. He wants it here in Saranac Lake crazy ridiculous but they had to communicate it was about six kids they had to communicate to do it they had one hour to do it and about a half an hour in i stopped them they had a tower about this big but it had security cameras it had an elevator so they went detail oriented i took the next two minutes to build a tower that was three times as tall as them but it, it was just a stack of bricks and i said well guys the mayor called and said he wants to build mine or he wants to use mine and not yours. And so they quickly got their thinking. But the, the idea behind it is that, that problem solving, um, because I think Lego is such a tool that you can use in the classroom, you can use for engineering. Um, I wanna ignite that with the kids so that they'll do it outside my walls too. Um, it'll pay off in the future with future customers, but realistically it'll, it'll pay off with future critical thinkers, problem solvers, good communicators. Um, so that's my favorite one I'm most passionate about. Um, we've offered an Amelia Earhart class where we've taken the Amelia Earhart Lego set. We build it over three weeks. Oh, that first class is every Saturday. Um, the other one, like the Amelia Earhart one, we do it over three weeks. We do the build over the three weeks and we also discuss the history. Um, I have a math night where we just started about once a month. We'll take a different math topic, division, multiplication, and use Lego to to solve math problems for kids wow. and to, to help teach them out. That's a one once a month type thing. Um, and then we had a Harry Potter night 
here where if you're a Harry Potter fan, come dressed in your house colors. Um, you can bring a wand, cosplay, whatever you want if you want to go to that extreme. But we built the Harry Potter and Hermione buildable figures. Um, and we just sat and chatted. It was a small group, but it was just a one night thing. Um, and it was more for the collective Harry Potter Lego fan. We have a Star Wars same type of thing coming up in the future for Star Wars fans, building a set, maybe a mock down the road. Um, so it's a combination of those one-time events, the classes over time. Um, my teacher side, I'll probably continue to do a lot of the classes and offer like the math. I love math. So I love doing that with the kids, the engineering. Um, but I can also see a lot of the fan club type groups happening on a regular basis. Um, and it's seeing what's profitable. The classes, it's straightforward. You just charge for so much for a class and they show up and, and it works out pretty well. The one-time events, I've tried one where I charge for it. I tried one where it's free. Um, I honestly haven't figured out what works best yet, but over the course of time, it hasn't cost me money because I have the, the customers coming from it. And for example, from the one Harry Potter night, we went out and I actually, cause I wasn't sure how many people I was going to get. So I didn't know what set we were going to build. We were looking at the castle, the big, the big um, Hogwarts castle and a few other sets. And based on the numbers that we had, we chose the buildable figures. So we went out and bought it retail price just to get it in the store quick. And we built it. And now I have them on my shelf and can throw a price tag on them and turn around and sell them for close to what we paid. And then we also have the profits from the night. So it's just all these different ways that work and it brings people into the shop and brings people into the community of mm -hmm. Lego, um, seeing parents build with kids. Which is amazing. Like, and you know, I want to, I want to touch back and touch on a handful yeah, of the things you just said, but, but one thought that I had before I forget it is, um, if you think about why certain retailers are not dying right now with e-commerce rising as heavy as it has, some retailers didn't survive it, right? Toys R Us, you know, and there's many of them that didn't survive yeah. it because um, the, the Amazons and, you know, all of the, the e-commerce and they weren't good enough at pivoting to e-com. Uh, yeah. But others have done fine. They've done well. You have Barnes & Noble, right? What did they yeah. do? They open a coffee shop. Like they partner with Starbucks. They have coffee inside their Barnes & Noble. They sell other things. Uh, Sephora, right? The makeup chain. One thing I'm always blown away by, and I don't, you know, like go into Sephora often, but when whenever I've been in a Sephora, is it's an experience, right? So people go yeah. in there to get to, like, they offer um, uh, makeup. Um, you can test the different things, and they offer like mirrors that will show you different things in your faces and all sorts of technology. What are, what are we? What am I getting at here? It's experience, right? It's yeah. experience. If you're trying to compete with e-commerce, where people can just go online and buy a Lego set you need to have some sort of experience in your brick and mortar store, like some sort of uh, reason why people will go there above and beyond what they can get on Amazon, having a sense of community, having connection, being able to test out the products, uh, you know, being able to, to learn, right. It's, it's, it's amazing to see the passion that you have for it because you lit up when you're talking about the store, the, when you're telling yeah. the, the stories of the classes that you're doing and the energy is very obvious. And I think it's an amazing connection to be a teacher and a lego seller uh, because somewhere in the middle there is like you know a natural instinct that you want to 
to help kids along and help them learn and, you know, create kind of interesting experiences for them. Um, one thing I was wondering, like, you know, on the, on the business front, I guess, um, I wonder if there's an opportunity when you mentioned the math class, I just, my, my brain lit up and I'm thinking kids, how do you get kids into a room like to learn math outside of school? Right. You, you bring Lego. Yeah. Um, but I'd imagine they still don't want to go on their own. Right. Their parents probably try and sign them up for it. But at the same time, like it could be a really interesting thought. Like if I don't know if it's you or if someone else wanted to do some sort of tutoring. Right. On not just math, but like on yep. maybe math, but like um, other subjects as well with Lego. Right. Like full on yep. tutoring. And there could be parents lining up. Yep. <laughs> lining up well, to book their kids into that. And it starts with that math class that I'm offering. One of the avenues that I'm exploring is I'm going to offer, um, and I haven't decided if it's going to be the same day and time or if it'll be a separate day or time, but offering an online virtual version of it um, wow. where anyone can do it um, and they can sign up and we can do it virtually across. Um, yet again, my type of mentality, um, I won't talk about it much, but if anyone ever reads the book, The Go-Giver, or you have not heard of The Go-Giver, read The Go-Giver. Um, I love to be a connector. My passion comes from being a connector. So one of the things I want to do is I would love to give the teachers that I work with that are going out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and um, waitressing or bartending, things like that, how much better would it be for them to be able to make a profit um, tutoring kids? And do, whether I can help a couple of them out virtually doing it um, or just helping them start their own building curriculum online, there's places where they can sell it, but just that support. But tutoring is one where, hey, if I'm doing too much tutoring with the math and the Legos, I could hire another teacher on and have them come on and do it and um, be able to provide customers more engaging math lessons kids love to learn multiplication division with Lego. It's a lot better than using paper and a pencil and yeah. giving a teacher an avenue to earn that extra income. It's, I don't need to be physically doing it if I can empower somebody else to do that too, and give them a platform for it. And selfishly, I I'll benefit from it financially too. So it works out. It's a win-win and it's something yeah. you're passionate about. And again, yeah. you know, that's, that's so critical. As we mentioned at the very start of this conversation, being passionate about Lego is what really helps us to, you know, be focused uh, and grow our businesses. Well, and, you know, be I know you had about a question in mind, but you just mentioned the word focus. I probably sound like I'm all over the place, but Lego is what allows me to be focused because it's the security blanket. And I think for everyone that is investing in Lego, whether it's BrickLink or through sealed sets, reselling on Amazon, the fact that it's such a stable industry it allows you to invest without a lot of risk, which allows me personally or our listeners to turn around and take those risks because the investment side is a safer bet than most. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted a little bit, but well, Lego in general is safe. You know, it's it is it's just like revenue like this for the last 20 years is so impressive. It really is. Um, I want to open up a, a comment or two or a question or two. So I had um so as we were talking about, you mentioned that like some of the parents, uh, they see like expensive minifigures, like why is this one more than the others or whatever? Uh, I noticed that uh, Greg had put a really interesting comment in here. Remember the $100 wine bottle theory, put the expensive 
minifig in front so the five dollar ones look yeah. like an absolute bargain this is why i love these sort of forums because people have such good insights and information and that's exactly you know a strategy in the wine industry that could um work really well uh in your circumstances that's something you thought about or, or is that an interesting oh, yeah. thought that you might leverage so you can't see it but i'm looking right across and what i have when you first walk into the store um and not by mistake it's because they're the quickest i can get them in inventory quickly and they can sell quickly i have my like minifigure shelf shelves full of minifigures and they're stacked right at adult eye level is the most expensive individually priced minifigures from like $75 straight through to even just 10 bucks. But then I have a $5 shelf, a $3 shelf, a $2 shelf and that, but right at eye level is that individually priced higher price point shelf with that in mind. And the collectors see it, the parents see those prices and they'll turn around and be like, yep, you can get the $3 minifigure. I'm okay with that. That's freaking cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I've always been interested in that psychology that goes into organizing the shelves in a brick and mortar store. And I've always paid attention when I'm out shopping for Lego, like why did I put this theme on this section of the shelf and this new set at this, you know, at eye level and all of these are the things that go into it. So it is fascinating to me. Um, so I wanted to ask you about um, some examples that you might have on yeah. some sets that you've sold in this in the store, right? So do you have like one or two sets that someone brought into you that you were like, oh, wow, like this is a, like a really good deal. Or do you have any examples of a set that you sold in there that was kind of a particularly good um, good sale for you? Like, is, is there anything that stands out in the, maybe in the first couple of months of, of the store? Yeah, um, I don't think my my one that stands out is more than just an individual set like that the fact that i sold this big set was interesting it was that before i opened my brick and mortar i put two sets on facebook marketplace and literally almost forgot that i had them on facebook marketplace and about a month into my store i had someone reach out and say hey is that set still available and they're like i'd like to come pick it up it was actually the amelia Earhart set and so they come in to get that and or they they reach out to get it and they say, yeah, where do you want to meet? And I was like, well, why don't you come to my Lego store? And they're like, what? You have a Lego store? And he came in and I opened on a day when I was normally closed or I opened early for him to come in and he thought that was great. And he left with half my inventory, um, at least huh. like speed champion sets. He bought every every set that had a car in it. He was a Hot Wheels guy. It turns out he collects Hot Wheels. And he saw the Amelia Earhart, thought it was cool, just a historical figure and, and set. And he saw all the Speed Champion sets and he built one in the past. And that was his Lego background. But he saw the Speed Champions. I had the, the Jaguar, the dual Jaguar set. I had the Ferrari. I had um, some of the newer, newer Mustang um, some of the smaller smaller ones as well um and he just bought a, a stack of them and he's come in, come in multiple times and um it's actually benefited me um in times where i went out to i couldn't get lego for my supplier so i literally went out to a retail store to buy lego to come back and to, to add to my store whether i could buy it on sale and sell it and 
I literally took a picture of like three or four sets that I bought. They were all speed champions set into him. And I sold it by the time I made it back to my store. So it's just building those relationships with the customer. So that yeah. one, there's a few stories like that, but that's the best one where he found me through a post on Facebook marketplace, which now I do on purpose. I post on there and tell people to pick up at my store. Um, mm -hmm. And it just developed to now this relationship where instead of him going and looking online for a set, he's like, Hey, I'm looking for the set. Let me know when you find it or when you get it in and he'll come in and yeah. buy it. So that's a good one. Um, as far as sets that I've gotten in, um, there's two individuals that have brought in a, a whole fleet of Star Wars sets um, that just have been fun to get in and to, to create conversation with. Um, the UCS one behind me, I've had some um, Republic gunship or Repu Republic attack ship V-Wing um, right from that like 2006 to 2012 era. Um, and a lot of the kids that I have that come into my shop they get excited to see that era of Lego because it came out just before they could start buying Lego themselves or getting parents mm -hmm. to buy them sets. So yeah. they get into those old sets. So it's, those have been the interesting purchases as far as just creating that excitement as a star Wars Lego fan. And then as a, a shop owner too. The, the story with the Facebook ad is really interesting or the Facebook yeah. um, marketplace listing is really interesting because that's actually happened to me before as a buyer. So when I was opening a warehouse, I needed a pallet jack. Uh, so like the, you know, to lift um, yeah. pallets of books. And uh, I saw an ad for a pallet jack, you know, nearby, got in touch with the, the seller and it turned out that they were liquidating a Barney's, right? It was a full Barney's warehouse wow. um, near me in New Jersey that was being liquidated. I didn't see anything else on the ad, just a pallet jack, right? But because it, the ad was on or the listing yeah. was on Facebook Marketplace, she said, come out to the liquidation sale. So I went out. We ended up buying a stack of things. We bought shelving. We bought like all sorts of different things from that. So, I mean, it's it's a good strategy, right? Because she was a liquidator, like a third party brought in to do these liquidations. And she was listing the items on Facebook Marketplace so that if anyone wanted that thing, she would bring them out to the sale and then they would most likely leave with other things. So I wonder, should you list all of your Lego sets on Facebook Marketplace just to get people in? I think so. Within within reason so that you don't fall into the habits of cross-listing where it becomes a burden and you and you miss something. But with Fair, what you yeah. can, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And if from my experience, if, if our viewers can gain anything from my failures or successes, it's I think if you have the ability, don't get narrow in your Lego investing, keep yourself free to be able to explore different options so that you can find those unique finds. Cause mm -hmm. those are where you make the most profit. You saved a ton of money, probably made profit from that liquidation sale. You would never found out about mm -hmm. me posting on Facebook marketplace. I got those sales in. Um, and the fact that I'm replacing some of my work with other people and training them to do some of the the in-house work, it allows me to put myself into situations where I can find the good deals or find the good relationships. Um, mm -hmm. In starting some other ventures, I've already built some relationships that have led outside of those new ventures. So like it's benefited my physical store, retail store, or my teaching career. And it just, my, uh, yeah. my high school baseball coach, 
the best advice anybody has ever given me or college baseball coach, the best advice anyone has ever given me is always leave a good impression because you never know when you'll meet that person again or when you'll need them. And it, it, it is keep those relationships. The best currency is relationships in this world. So you're absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. And it's definitely true in this Lego world that we live in. Okay. Um, so I want to take us in the direction of closing out, Dan, because you've been yeah. very generous with your time. Of course. Um, but I do want to ask you one last question, which is if, so, you know, we have a lot of people watch the Brick Book videos who haven't yet dove into the world of Lego investing yeah. or selling in any form. Um, so I'd like to, you know, maybe get your thoughts on what you think a newcomer uh, should prioritize or, or let me, let me put it this way to you. If you were starting again, right from scratch, um, what would you do in your first 30 days? What would be something, you know, that you think, um, you wish somebody told you right at the start to, uh, to maybe do more of or do less of what are some general kind of thoughts that you have when you think about that? If you're jumping in and you don't have a lot of time, skip the U sets, which is probably the advice you would not hear. Um, because profit wise, it's the least investment to get the greatest return. It just takes your time. But there's so many people that have done it over and over again. They have the process down. They can usually beat you out over and over again. So my advice is quantity. Look for an avenue of where you can get quantity. If you only have a hundred bucks to start, you can still start, but don't buy one hundred dollar lego set that you have to wait eight months to sell for a return go out and get um the 501st battle pack um those minifigures in that set they sell for the price of what you can find it on sale they'll they'll sell within a week or a month at the most for the same price you pay for the whole set now you just did that and now you have all those pieces available to sell for profit. Even if you maybe build the ships and you sell the ships on eBay to make a dollar profit, it's a dollar profit that you made quickly. Um, it may not be the best example, but it's just a simple example of just go out, do it with a small amount. Um, minifigures, I think, are a great way of how I would start to um, generate profit quickly. Um, and I learn a lot from minifigures. I see which ones sell. And if one doesn't sell quickly, usually it's not a, it doesn't slow me down. So if I was starting over in 30 days, it would be buying sets, new sets with minifigures that can sell quickly and using those parts as my investment. So the minifigures get me my return and those parts are my medium to long-term investment that allow me to reinvest. Um, and then I build up to being able to look at the new sets. When I have some, some cash on hand, invest in new sets at the cheaper price range that have a quicker return or those retiring sets. If you come in in the time of year where you can buy a set that's retiring, you could turn around and sell it for a profit in a couple months. It may not be a high profit, but it's enough to take and, and reinvest. Um, and the one piece of advice outside of that, that I would add, avoid clearance. If you're starting early, avoid clearance at like big box retail sellers because everybody's buying that set. Long-term, you'll make profit. 
but short term, you're going to be sitting on it because everybody's going to be selling it and the price is going to plummet for that immediate time. So avoid clearance. Sometime pay full retail price. Um, the, the Mandalorian, the new set with the Mandalorian that has like the armor builder in it comes with like three or four minifigures. I bought that one at full retail price because the going rate for the minifigures pretty much covered the full retail price. So don't be afraid to pay full price if you do your homework and find out that you can get your return on investment quickly. Just mm -hmm. turn over the profits fast. You can do the more profitable situations later once you have cash flow. Cash flow is king. If you don't have cash flow, you're going to go out of business no matter how profitable of a set you buy. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. You actually touched on a whole business model that not a lot of people talk about there, yeah. um, which is, you know, buying a new set, selling the minifigs yeah. and then later selling the parts. Right. So th this is just an example uh, as to how many different ways you can carve up the world of Lego and make it a business. Right. Because yep. you could uh, when a set retires. Right. Most of us keep it sealed. That's what we talk about mostly on Brickbooks. And we keep the set sealed on the shelf and, or in a box and then we sell it as a sealed set. But even, you know, opened and incomplete versions of that set also are going to go up in value after his set has retired. So this TIE fighter helmet next to me right now is going through the roof um, yeah. in value. It, you know, people who have used versions of this are also going to be able to sell that for higher price um, because of that phenomenon. eBay so, damaged boxes. I have a safe search. eBay damaged boxes. I buy those all day long. Yeah, right. For that so, reason. You know, so that is an option, right, to, for, for people that you mentioned, which is buy the set, sell the minifigs in new condition immediately. Yep recuperate yep. your money keep the rest of the set and sell it later you could you could part it out if you want to do brick link or you could sell it as a set at yep. a later stage yep. when the set retires it becomes an investment just like sealed sets do yep. um they won't go up in value as much as a sealed set does but you've right. already got your money back from the minifig so yep. you know it's it's all good well, right, Dan, that was some amazing information. I loved um, learning more about your business. Yeah. Really, really fascinating stuff. I learned a lot. I hope some of you viewers out there also learned a lot. Um, thanks so much for being here, man. Much, much appreciated. Um, if uh, so, so, you know, if you enjoyed this video, make sure you go and like and subscribe to this, but also go and check out uh, Adirondack Brick on um, the website. So adirondackbrick.com. Is that right, Dan? Yep, that's it. Yep, right it's on linked Adirondack in the description. If you're in the upper New York, what's your town called? Saranac Lake. It's kind Saranac of where Lake. Um, Lake Placid, where the 80s Winter Olympics were. There you go. If you're in the area, go check out the store. Say hi to Dan. Um, once again, I'm Shane from Brickbucks.net. Dan, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we'll see you me. in the next one.